0: Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And James chapter 5. In the other hand, Job chapter 42 and James chapter 5. Such an amazing book of Job. The key to understanding it is found in. The book of James. an amazing thing the Word of God is. Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, because I now see thee, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. James chapter 5, in verse 11. Well, verse 10, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Now those two go together. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, again we come before Thee this morning, we're humbled not only by what we've already sang, the verses of Scripture from Psalms, the hymns. Lord, we're thankful, ever thankful for Thy goodness and mercy, that You are a God that is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Lord, I pray that God, You'd help us this morning to understand what You have for us. I pray the Spirit would speak to us and open up our hearts to those things He's prepared for us. And I pray, dear God, that You'd write them upon our hearts. Father, we are truly living in perilous times and the afflictions and sufferings of Thy people are beginning to increase in a manner, in a way, in a fashion which has never been before. Help us, dear God, we pray, to listen tentatively to Thy Word. May we, like Job, Take what we've heard from our ears, and may it help us to see you, and only you. God, I pray that you'd instruct us and teach us, open up our hearts and our minds and our ears. May we hear what the Spirit hath to say to us this morning, for we ask these things in Christ's name, amen, and amen. Again, this morning, I wish to remind you that I do not profess to be a master of the book of Job nor of its truths, actually of any truths found in God's Word, even after so many years of being a Christian. Yet I pray that God would bless us this morning with knowing in part, like Paul said, being able to discover those things God has revealed unto us and shown us, or preparing us for things that He might be bringing our way as Christians. For God has a way of not only helping us after we've been through some things, but He also has a divine way of preparing us for things that are coming. And whatever our case might be this morning, I pray that God would speak to our hearts and impress upon us the divine truths of which He has for us in the book of Job. You know, the book of Job has attracted the attention and curiosity of countless people down through the ages. And it's the simple reason why the origin, the cause, the purpose of man's sufferings and afflictions has always, since the beginning of time, aroused the curiosity and inquisitiveness of mankind. Man has always wondered why man suffers. Sinful man himself has always asked the question or sought the answer to why man suffers. Philosophers, have sought to understand this by much learning and education, yet to no avail. We've had songwriters who have sought to express its true meaning in music and lyrics, but only to the stirring of emotions for a moment. We've had poets in their attempts to dramatize and sensationalize such afflictions and sufferings only to prove, to increase this great mystery. And of course, lastly, we have the psychiatrist and the therapist who would have man look with inside himself for the answer. Yet there is no greater abyss of darkness and depravity than the unconverted heart of man. So they're directing their hearts and attentions to that which has no answer. Mankind has always sought to understand why man suffers, and sought in various ways to explain it. All these man-made efforts to understand and explain sinful man's afflictions and sufferings have been met only with great disappointment and despair. For without God, and I hope we all understand and agree, without God they'll never understand that sin is the true origin of, and source of their sufferings and sorrows. The problem with the world today is not education, not politics. The problem with the world, as always, has been sin. Sin is the problem. The reason for suffering and sorrow in the world today is sin. The Word of God said, For the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose water cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace saith my God to the wicked. So all their vain efforts to define or explain or to answer why man suffers ends in vain without God. And yet there's even a greater mystery, one which the book of Job and actually the entire Scripture deals with, but especially Job, there's an even greater mystery. One which is confounded and often confused even the greatest of God's people. Namely the sufferings and afflictions of the righteous at the hands of God Himself. This is a great mystery. We know that all afflictions stem from God. I hope and pray that we're all in agreement with that. They don't come, you know, out of nowhere. All afflictions on the righteous stem from God. Even Job humbly confessed that, even though God used Satan as his tool, Job humbly confessed that it was the hand of God from which all his problems stemmed, not from Satan. We know that all afflictions stem from God, yet those afflictions at his own hand are often most mysterious. Those are the ones that are most mysterious. Why would God allow His children to suffer affliction under His own hand? Why would God be the one to strike? I'd really truly love to get off into that subject a little bit more deeper, but due to lack of time, I won't. If God spared not His own Son, why should we think that God would not strike us if needful? We fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, do we not? I like that old hymn that the greatest blow that struck Christ was the blow of justice. It pre- it pleased Isaiah fifty three, it pleased God to bruise him. And I'm not saying in any form or fashion that we can ever equal the same as Christ. But if we're going to fellowship in His sufferings, beloved, surely, if by grieving us, by causing afflictions and sorrows in us, we are made more into the image of Christ, and that we can share in the sufferings of Christ, then should we not also welcome such afflictions at the hands of God? This is a great mystery, and yet, beloved, I believe it's one that brings the greatest comfort to God's people. There are mainly three categories of believers who will occupy themselves with the book of Job. Namely three, and I want to briefly give you those three categories, I believe, of people that occupy themselves with Job. The first are those that are young. Spiritually immature Christians who read the book of Job with great curiosity and intrigue, believing that a mere studying of its words will unlock the divine mystery of sufferings. No maliciousness intended, but they're young in the Lord and eager and curious and intrigued by the sufferings in the book of Job. And so they believe by simply studying the words, they're going to unlock the mysteries. But being yet babes in Christ and unskillful in the word of righteousness, the Bible says their senses being not yet exercised with strong meat to discern good and evil, the sufferings and afflictions of the righteous at God's own hand remain to them yet a mystery. They can talk about them all day long and, express the words all day long and like Job they hear by the ear but they've never seen they're still immature and young and unacquainted with the afflictions of the righteous there's many of those especially in this day and age of knowledge we have so many books at our fingertips we can buy a book on any subject of God nowadays And so people don't read the scripture, they're not worried, or they're not concerned about God teaching them the lesson. They're going to let brother so-and-so, or pastor so-and-so, or reformed or puritan preacher so-and-so, teach them this value. You're not going to learn the lesson of Job from books of men, regardless of how saintly they are. They might be a blessing, and they are. They might lead us to a deeper understanding or a deeper desire to read the Word of God, but they cannot teach us this divine lesson. Only God can teach us this divine lesson and our emotions and intellect might be tickled by what others say but it's only God himself who can truly teach us the lessons we need to learn under his afflicting hand secondly there are those who are true believers who have suffered afflictions at the hands of God and yet like Job before the end of chapter 42 or before the end of Job still darkened counsel by words without knowledge. They're still in that condition Job was. They have some understanding and comfort in such afflictions, yet like Job, they still contend with God. They understand it, they get a glimpse of it, and they find some sort of comfort from it occasionally, but they're still in their heart contending with God. And lastly, there are those who, like Job, at the end of Job, being greatly humbled by their afflictions at God's own hand, now see him whom once they only heard of. And yet, beloved, this last category is very few. This category has learned to humbly submit to his sovereign and divine providence under their afflictions. And like I said, these are few, very, very few. Yet take comfort in the fact that God's Word clearly declares that He does not intend for every true believer or every one of His children to suffer the same measure and magnitude of suffering as that of Job. Now I want to make that clear before I begin this morning. This third category, yes, is very, very few. But God doesn't intend that we all suffer the same magnitude as that of Job. I, don't, I believe with all my heart that since the days of Job, even to now, no mortal man has suffered the magnitude of suffering under the hand of God more than Job. I believe God put Job to be an example of us all. So that we, when we look at our sufferings, we can not say... Well, God doesn't understand. He's God. I'm a mortal man. I can't bear all this. Job is an example, such a high example that none of us, I believe, will ever reach the magnitude of suffering that Job suffered in the amount of time he did. So God set him as an example saying, you'll never suffer as much as Job, so look to Him for an example of suffering under the hand of God. That's why James says, You've seen the patience of Job. We count them blessed that endure. Take them for an example of suffering and patience, the Scripture says in James. I don't know about you, but to me, this is the very mercy and grace of God that He would... Could you imagine God using you as an example like Job and suffering? I mean, to me, that's an act of mercy and grace that God would would use Job as an example so that we might have comfort in our afflictions, that we might truly as believers say God does understand our sufferings and our afflictions. He does comprehend what we're going through. He understands exactly what we're living. He understands exactly our afflictions. In all our afflictions, He is afflicted. God would set Job as an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Let us then this morning for a few minutes hear the patience of Job. Look over back in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5 verse 10 and 11 again. Take my brethren... It's amazing that James, the the, the theme of James is uh, faith with works. A faith without works is dead. It's amazing that Job is in that book. But uh, James chapter 5, verse 10, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. I love how the Holy Spirit puts those two things in one category. Suffering, affliction, and of patience. How they go so well together. Behold, we count them happy which endure, We have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let me ask you a question. Why does James direct our attention to Job's patience? You've heard of the patience of Job. For surely when we first acquaint ourselves with the book of Job, it doesn't appear like Job possessed patience at all. When I first read the book of Job and then came back over to James, I thought, where is the patience of Job? It's hard to see the patience of Job. It looks like Job immediately starts asking God questions. But James refers us, he refers us to Job's patience. We're in Job chapter 7 verse 3. Let me show you something I believe that we often overlook. I have about the book of Job or the trials of Job, Job chapter seven, because this reveals actually reveals the divine truth concerning our understanding of the sufferings of others as well, not just namely job's, namely, with James referring to the endurance and patience of Job and Job's own words here in chapter seven, verse three, I want you to read this. With me, chapter seven, verse three, Job says this: So I, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. You ever notice that I've made, I am made, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. With James directing our attention to his enduring impatience and with Job saying these same words in Job chapter 7, Scripture leads us to believe that Job's sufferings were a long time. When I first read Job, because you read in the first chapter how one after another comes in, and you think, okay, good, this was in a short period of time. In just a few days, Job was suffering. I mean, good, his friends were shut, shut up for three days, maybe about a week. But when you look at James and you look at what Job said in Job chapter 7, verse 3, Scripture leads us to understand that Job's sufferings were a long time. In fact, the Jews believe his sufferings were at least a year. Job suffered for a year. Now, to me, that's endurance. And that's patience. How long did Job suffer before he started complaining, so to say? Before he started questioning God? We know not how long that was, but we do know from James and Job chapter 7 that his sufferings lingered a long time. He didn't just suffer a few days, it went on a long time. Now, the catastrophes in chapter 1 were one after the other. And then he got the boils He got the sickness from God. How long he endured that, we know not, but scripture leads us to believe he endured it for a long time. You remember at the end of one, chapter one, he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. It sounded like Job was, but how long did Job endure that? James calls on us to admire, to hear his patience. makes you often wonder as well how we deal with the sufferings of others. And, and I, I just want to put this in here for, for encouragement. Be cautious when you question the lives of others who are suffering because you don't know the depths of their sufferings. You don't know exactly what they're going through. Too many Christians are too quick to give advice like Job's three friends without understanding the measure of this individual's sufferings. They don't know what God's put them through. They were quick. I like what Proverbs said. Proverbs said, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and shame unto him. He answereth the matter before he heareth it. Be careful when someone else is suffering under affliction that we as God's people use patience and understanding because we do not know the measure of their suffering. That's why I like Proverbs again that says the heart of the righteous steadieth to answer. In other words, the heart of the righteous steadieth to answer. In other words, the righteous takes time. They think. They contemplate before they answer. Don't be so quick to give an answer. Don't be so quick to give advice. Don't be so quick to make a judgment call or to judge a situation when another people, when someone else is suffering. Because we know not the, the length. We know not the measure. We know not the magnitude of what God has brought them through. God give us grace. And like I said, Job's three friends were most wise when they were silent for three days. So James addresses us and draws our attention to the patience of Job. He endured for a long time. He had patience for a long time. The patience of which Scripture speaks, especially in Job's case, is not an average patience which one might exercise under normal circumstances of life. People can exercise patience in waiting for someone, waiting for your wife while she goes to the store, waiting for... I'm not talking about your average patience which one exercises under normal circumstances of life, the patience of which Job speaks, the patience of which James, Pete speaks, is a patience that enables believers to meekly endure injuries. Listen to me, it's the best definition I ever heard of it. Listen to me, it's a grace, it's a virtue which enables believers to meekly endure injuries, and with a continued calmness of temper and submission to the will of God, bear affliction and humbly wait for the accomplishment of His promise. Let me say that again. This was a John Brown of Haddington Dictionary definition, and I've never found a better one in all my 35 years. It is that grace whereby believers meekly endure injuries, and with a continued calmness of temper and submission to the will of God, bear affliction and humbly wait for the accomplishment of His promise. And you do not learn that in the school of men that cannot be taught or read or learned from books. It can only be taught as God puts us through afflictions and trials of his own divine appointment, teaching us that lesson. I don't care how many books you read on. I don't care how many Puritans you read on suffering and afflictions. We will never learn the value of this truth until God has providentially and personally placed us in those times of afflictions to learn the value of that truth. In your patience, the Lord said in Luke 21, talking about the end times when people going to per- uh, you know, persecute us. He said, In your patience possess ye your souls. this is what we're supposed to hear of Job, his patience. And again, when you look at the book of Job, it's hard to see that Job had any patience. But when you learn that his sufferings and afflictions lingered for a long time, then you begin to understand why James says, look at his endurance and patience. How long would it have took for you and I to break? Again, I don't know when Job began seriously contending with God, but how long was it? How long did he do? Evidently, he endured for a while. Beloved, this kind of patience, you cannot be taught of anyone else except God. And they're only taught by trials and afflictions. Let us look at James chapter 1, a very familiar verse that we're all very familiar with. And we've all probably learned and quoted James chapter 1 in verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. When we were preaching through this book years and years ago in Germany, I spent a long time on that second verse because that word count means to discern. It's spiritual discernment. It doesn't mean count them one, two, three. It means stop and spiritually think for a minute. You know, we are called on to think as believers. Spiritual discernment. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh Patience. What works patience but the trying of our faith? And I like how James, led by the Holy Spirit, uses the word worketh because it's labor. It takes a lot. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And it does, does it not? Have you not felt the working of the trying of your faith as it works patience? It's not an easy task. I'm grieved by those today who believe in hyper-Calvinism or hyper-Grace that believes nothing has to be done on our part. Christ has done all of it so much, we don't have to do nothing but sit back and enjoy the ride. God is working in His people. And the trying of our faith worketh patience. But James says, but let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That doesn't mean perfection. That means that you might be mature. That you might be spiritually mature. And that you won't be lacking anything. Patience is what works that. It's a perfect work, but it's something that isn't easy. Why do you think later on James says, those that have endured, we count them blessed that endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. Beloved, when we have an understanding of that, when God places us in those positions or those times of afflictions and trials, when we have an understanding of what I'm speaking about this morning, we are more capable of learning and listening to the hand of God. I like like Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, God doesn't spoon feed us all our lives, he said. God works through us in our mind and our hearts. He gives us understanding. He wants us to grow in knowledge and in grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He doesn't merely spoon-feed us. And this is the wonders of Christianity. This is the joy of Christianity, being able to know that God is working in us that which is according to His will and His purpose. So we work out that salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God that worketh in us both the will and to do His good pleasure, being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Then when we look at these things, we're not looking at them with fear and trembling and torment and anxiety, but we're looking at them with faith and hope and confidence in God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 3 and 5. Again, the Scriptures explain this patience. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing, there's that word again, knowing that tribulation there's work and patience again. Both those words together. It, it sounds to me like Scripture saying patience is a work. It's a work. Work with patience. And watch this. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. You see the progress here? And hope, maketh not a shame, because the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Look at that love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It comes after we've had our tribulation, work with patience, experience. And hope. Do you see that? Patience, experience. Beloved, impatience is evidence of spiritual immaturity and a lack of experience. And I've seen over the course of my Christian life, and I've been guilty of it myself when I was younger, And I believe we all have at one moment or another in our Christian life. But young believers are prone to be impatient. They see a situation. They see a problem. And they believe simply because they know the Scripture. It needs to be dealt with now. And so they go about it abruptly, impatiently. This patience under afflictions not only helps us to understand and rest in God, but it also teaches us patience in all aspects of life. Something a lot of Christians don't have today. They don't have any patience to wait on God. Simply because they believe they have an answer, they want to address the problem now. They want to do something now. Why don't you wait on God? What if what if God wants you to wait? Look at Psalms. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and wait on the Lord. It takes courage to wait on God. Be patient and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It takes courage and faith and confidence in God to wait on God. It's an experience God teaches us through trials which patience works in us and it helps us to be more calm in our tempers and submissive to God's will and more patient waiting on God. Something that God teaches us. Hebrews 10 says this: For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You see that proverb. You have need of patience, that after Hebrews 10:36, that after you've done the will of, after you've done it, you might receive the promise. But you have need of patience. You know one thing that's always confounded me and struck me with awe is when I consider when Christ came down here being God manifest in the flesh, he walked amongst sinful, ignorant men for 33 years. The patience that he showed to sinful man. He's God. He's infinitely wise. He knows everything. And yet, look at the patience he showed towards sinful man as he walked amongst men. You would think that he would have got tired of our ignorance and our stupidity but he patiently walked amongst men. He dealt with their ignorance in such a compassionate way. He's God, and he walked amongst amongst creatures. Patience is a virtue we all need more of, and it's afflictions that teach us patience. Yet look at something in Job that I want to show you about how God worked this divine work of patience in Job. Stay with me just a few more minutes. I want you to see this. Look over in Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38 and verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job, the first time God answered Job, 38, 39, 40, 41, God speaks. A lot of chapters. God speaks. Amazing. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, out of the world, whirlwind. Look over in chapter 40, verse 6. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind. Why whirlwind? Why didn't he just say, God answered Job? Well, if you do a word study on whirlwind in Scripture, a lot of times it was a sign of God's wrath. But whirlwind, actually, in Scripture, is a mark of God's majesty. Listen to me, he's dealing with Job. It's a mark of God's majesty. It's to reveal that His glory... Purposes and works or providences are unsearchable. In other words, God manifests himself as God to Job. You can't figure me out. Follow the questions God answers him after that when he speaks to him out of the world. When he talks about creation, was you there at the foundations of the world? Did you create this? Did you create that? And and he, he doesn't really ever tell Job why he allowed Satan to do these things. He never gives Job an answer. In all these chapters where God speaks, God just magnifies Himself. I'm God. Look at this. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? He's magnifying Himself. He's not giving Job an answer. But in reality, He is. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says this, The Lord hath His way in the whirlwind. (laughs) But watch what happens in chapter uh, chapter 40 verse 1. I spoke to a brother yesterday about this verse. Chapter 40, verse 1. Watch what the Lord does in the midst of all this. Watch what He does in 40, chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, No whirlwind. It's almost like in the middle of all of that, God comes down to Job and says, Now let me tell you this, Job. Do you remember Elijah? When God and when Elijah was in the cleft or in the hills and, you know, the wind came and the storm came and the fire came and it said God wasn't in those, but he was in the steel, small voice. And then Elijah came out. It's almost like God's doing the same thing to Job. He speaks in a world when he shows his majesty and glory and Job is just awestruck. Job doesn't know what to do. As a matter of fact, Job here says, I'm vile after this. He said, what shall I answer? I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. I'll shut my mouth after God does. It's almost in the midst of all that whirlwind. You know what God does? God comes down and gently, full of pity and of tender mercy, speaks to Job. And says, okay, in the midst of this, Job, let me talk to you. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, This is the very, this is God being very pitiful and of tender mercy. This is God condescending to speak to his afflicted child after he's revealed his glory. Almost like Moses. When Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, God said, I'll send an angel with you. <clears throat> Moses, I don't want an angel. No, God said, I'll send an angel with you, but I'm not going with you. Moses, I don't want an angel. If your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. If your presence doesn't go with us, Lord, show me your glory. God says, nobody's seen my face and lived. Moses said, I want to see your glory. God says, okay, you can't see my face. Otherwise, you'll die but I'll show you my back parts. So he put him in the cleft of the rock, his hand covered him, and God just showed his back parts. And in the midst of God showing his back parts, being merciful, kind, and gracious, Moses falls on his face and said, that's way too much. I can't take anymore. I can't take it. You see, when we get a glimpse of God, it doesn't matter why. You see, it doesn't matter why. There's no more a desire to know why. Knowing you is enough. I don't need to know the why. But it took God to come first in a whirlwind to bring Moses down to his, Moses down to his knees to humble Moses before God could, in that state of humble condition, come down and speak to Moses. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Not in a whirlwind, He spoke to Moses, and then He goes back to the whirlwind. The Lord spoke to him out of the whirlwind. Amazing act of kindness and pity and mercy and grace. You ever, you ever had that? You ever, you ever experienced that in your afflictions, in the midst of your afflictions, when everything is roaring about you, and yet you still, in some way, when you're reading scripture, you hear that still small voice of God speaking. I'm telling you, God is compassionate and full of pity and mercy and grace, but He'll share not His glory with anyone. Sometimes it takes God showing Himself in a whirlwind, letting us know His majesty and His glory and His ways are unsearchable before He can speak to us in a still, small voice and say, listen, my child, it's not the why, it's the who. (laughs) In other words, Job just gets so filled with God, he loses himself. Look what Job said in verse 3 of chapter 40. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no farther. Further, God shut his mouth. And and, and Job stands here silent and submissive before God. And God goes back to the whirlwind. It's amazing how God does that. It's amazing how God does that. That God can be so compassionate and loving and kind and benevolent to His children, and yet still we have the sense and awe of His majesty and His greatness and His power that He's God. God! We come with boldness before the throne of grace in time of need, not in our own but in Christ, but it's still a throne and it's of grace. He's still God. God never ceases to be God. God wanted Job and us to realize in your afflictions, I'm still God. I speak from the whirlwind, but I come down and condescend and speak to you as a child. But don't forget, I'm still God. He's God. He's God. He's God. The psalmist said it best in Psalm thirty nine nine, he said, I was dumb. Put the silence. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. I was dumb. I was silent. I opened I did not open my mouth. Why did I why was I silent? Because you did it. That's the only answer. You did it. Beloved, when God brings us to that point under our afflictions under his hand then we're going to learn what it is to dwell with god why is that so look in isaiah 66 and i'm promise I'm winding this down look at isaiah 66 another beautiful truth of this some people look at job saying i'm you know later on like job saying you know i pour myself and i repent dust and ashes no that that was the most blessed state to job could ever find himself. It's the most blessed state you and I can find ourselves. Why is that so? Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, I'm God. That's how high I am. Where is the house that ye build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. He's created everything. Remember, he's God, but watch what he says here. But to this man, I like how he singles it to one. (laughs) to this man will I look this is the man that gets my attention even to him that is poor not financially spiritually and of contrite spirit sounds like Job and trembleth at my word to this man will I look Job was in the most blessed state he'd ever been before, when he was silent before God, he began to see God with his eyes. You know where we see God the most, clearest? Amongst the heap of ashes of repentance and contrition. There we see God the clearest. The world looks at that and said, that's morbid. The Christian looks at that and says, oh, no. Oh, no, that's, that's the place where I see God the clearest. That's where I have fellowship most with my God. For he looks upon me. I love how God did that with Job. The whirlwind on both sides, but in the midst of that, he comes down and he speaks to Job. When God was finished with Job, Job was where he needed to be. And God brought him there. Just like God will bring us. He will perfect that which concerneth me. Listen to me. Two verses in scripture I've memorized for years. He will perfect that which concerneth me. He'll perfect that which concerneth me. That's God's sovereignty. He will not fail. He will not fail. He will not fail. He's God. What's lacking in me, He will perfect. If it's through trials or chastisement or persecutions or tribulations, God will not fail. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He will work it out. He will perfect that. What a blessing to believe that. And the other one is, He performeth all things for me. And God brought Job exactly where he wanted to bring Job. And it was finished verse twelve of chapter forty two, and so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Our latter end is going to be much more blessed than the beginning. You know what the latter end is, don't you? Christ Jesus can present us before the Father in the fullness of joy. I can't I can't comprehend that in Jude. I, I really can't. I try, I try, I try. Christ Himself. Can you imagine that? I know people think, well, you can't speak so humanly of God, but I I can't imagine Christ taking each individual Christian and bringing them before the throne of grace in the fullness of joy before the Father. We shall see the Father as He is and not die. No one's seen the face of God and lived, but we shall see the face of God and live for eternity. Oh, beloved, there's nothing wrong with the yourselves and repenting in dust and ashes. There's nothing wrong with finding out that you've heard of Him, but now you can see Him. He's worth it all. And truly, we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing. He is everything. But watch what He did just as a just a little food for thought here. He says here that uh, the Lord turned to his three friends and says, "Therefore, I'm my wrath is kindled against thee, because you've not spoken the right thing as Job has." He said, "Therefore, my servant Job shall pray for you." Over in James chapter five again. James again opens the door, is the key to it. James chapter five. Again, in James chapter five, my servant Job shall pray for you. Look at James chapter five, verse sixteen. Look at the context of this. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another. Faults that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Job was righteous. evadeth much. There's the key. Why did Job pray? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Confess your faults and pray for one of that you may be healed. And like our brother said last week, it's an act of grace. Can you imagine what Job might have thought about his three friends if it's been such a long time? (laughs) They have been against him the entire time. And God says, no, no, my wrath is kindled against them. But but Job is going to intercede on your behalf because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And because you had a fault and I want you healed, Job is going to pray for you. And it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he turned the captivity, prayed for his friends. Look at that, merciful Gracious. (laughs) Gracious. <laughs> it's amazing how Joe, how God put that in Job's heart. Beloved, we see in the book of Job, we see or we hear the patience of Job and we see the end of the Lord, that the Lord is of great pity and of tender mercy very pitiful and of tender mercy. We see that in Job. We see the patience of Job. May God give us grace to take what God's Word says, what we've learned. Not only think and meditate about it, but if you've been through or you're going through something that you don't understand, that you can't describe, you can't find a reason for, and it's confounding you and it's confusing you, I encourage you to go back to Job. Job. And look at Job. God never gives Job an answer. Why? God just reveals Himself. And that was answer enough. Beloved, that's all we need. We just need by faith to see more of Christ. There's no need for an answer. You're sufficient. Why do you think when Paul said, Hey, i got this thorn in the flesh. I need to get rid of it. The Lord said, No, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. It's a paradox. Therefore, Paul said, therefore, I shall glory in my infirmities of the power of Christ may dwell within me. May God give us grace to understand what Job is teaching us, what we learn from God so that we, like Job, might learn the blessings of enduring and that we too might, as Job, not only say, I've heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I see thee. And I pour myself in dust and ashes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you would bless the preaching of thy word. And, Lord, I, I know, Father, Lord, that I have fallen far short of being able to preach it in such clarity as it deserves. For, Lord, it's your word. And I pray that The Holy Spirit would take the words, your words, and Father, Lord, you'd write them upon our hearts and our minds that we might, Lord, receive the comfort and encouragement and the instructions we need. Father, Job was an example, Lord, of suffering, affliction, and of patience. But Lord, as we look at Job's patience, may we see the end of the Lord. And may we be reminded as well that you're God. Lord, Your ways are in the world. And yet in the midst of that, You come down and condescend and speak to us and comfort us in such a wonderful, merciful way through Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that, God, You'd give us, Lord, the blessings of knowing this truth in our own lives. We love You. Thank You for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.